This is Music Respawn. I'm Kate Remington with composer Jose Varon. He's uh, the composer of the score of Imp of the Sun, created by Sunwolf Entertainment. And it's really great to have a chance to talk with you. Thank you so much, Kate, for having me. It's, it's great to talk with you as well. You know, Imp is it's such a beautiful game. The art style is, well, kind of a little bit childlike, but it deals with some really deep themes and it's inspired from what I understand by Peruvian legends there's an eclipse of the sun and the sun send, sends this seemingly tiny little imp down to uh, battle bosses and demigods to end the eclipse and because the art style is sort of Peruvian and it's based on these Incan legends was it always just kind of a given that you'd use traditional Peruvian instruments? Yes, that was part of the concept in, since the beginning. So uh, at Sunwolf, we wanted to our first game to also represent the culture of the of the people making it. That's why we, we decided to do like uh, a game inspired by Peruvian culture. That's that's really cool. And you're the CEO of Sunwolf too. So, what kind of advantages does that give you as you're developing a game? I'm my own boss, which is kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually no, it wasn't it wasn't so far so much like that. I was wearing two hats, so I was like a CEO, just like doing like all the business, and that the biggest advantage I would say is like having the different perspective of like really how you're making a game because when when you're doing music for a game and you're hired as a as a freelancer, you you don't know like everything that's behind the scenes usually. And but being CEO of a company, I know every detail of what's behind the scene. And that switch of perspective really, I mean, it just helps a lot to, to grow as a, as a person, as a composer. Yeah, I'll bet. Well, how big is the team? The team for Imp of the Sun, we were uh, 13. And from those 13, four were from, from my other company, the Audio Hive. And so we had like a pretty big team, um, audio team for uh, for an indie game. Well, I, I love how the soundtrack has all of these themes in it. And you started, you know, there's the little theme for Nin, the, the imp, and there's a theme for the eclipse and the bosses each have a theme. And so how do you get started with a project like this? I mean, did you start by developing these tiny themes and motives? The starting point was Nin's motif. That was one of the first, um, that was the first motif that I wrote. Like I usually get started with the story. So I like to know where the story is going. So I had a, you know, a thorough discussion with the narrative director and just like getting to know like the story of each of the bosses to develop their, their themes and motifs. And also knowing like the whole story as, as it is. And so the very first thing that I wrote were those three notes. It's a really interesting little motive because it's so simple and it's so pared down, but it's instantly recognizable wherever it appears in in the game and in the soundtrack. And 
So for you, like what makes a really great theme or motive? That's an interesting question. It would be like something that really represents the essence of like conceptually the essence of the character or or situation or um and that you can immediately recall that. And that's what happened with uh, with Nin's motif. It's like when you hear those three notes, it's like instantly you you listen to Nin. And then when you hear the moon's motif, which you'll hear like every time you die, <laughs> then you also you also think about like the moon like instantly. So that that Pavlovian <laughs> response, I would say, is what what makes it great. Well, I I love how Nin you know Nin's name has three letters and his little motive only has three notes. And so was that intentional too? Uh, no, actually, Nin, um, Nina is fire in Quechua, and Nin is made of fire. So we just, um, yeah, I mean, the three notes was a coincidence, but <laughs> that's how the name came to, to be. Wow. The, the way that you created a theme for the eclipse is interesting, because it's almost like two, two chords kind of superimposed on each other. And so that must have been an interesting process to kind of work that out. Yeah, so I mean, it, it's, it's literally two chords, like one on top of the other, and one of them is a, a B. It's a C major over a B major, and so the the tonality, the, the key of the of the sun is B major, and the key of the moon is C major. So it, for the eclipse, it's just like one over the other, but then when you hear the overture, there's like this dance between the 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 sun and the moon. And you'll hear like the shifting from one to the other. Well, that overture is just amazing. I mean, it works the way an overture for an opera would, because you've got all of those themes there and the way they're developed, they're not necessarily used the same way they would be for cues in the game. But did you put the overture together first or was that one of the last things you did after you got all the themes kind of in place? It was actually the first, the, the first i wrote was the overture and which is not something i would normally do it, it just like sort of happened but um and and it came because we i was talking with the narrative director about the story and, and so like actually the whole story of imp of the sun is on the overture and and all the backstory is is like things that you want um you want to see explicitly in, in the game so for instance like, like why everything happened everything's like musically in the um, in the overture
That's so cool. I mean, it's like storytelling. It's like Peter and the Wolf, which is really, really it's cool. It's exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> well, how how did you keep the, the cues for the game to to not be sort of a, a literal Peter and the Wolf and kind of, you know, give away what was going to happen in the game? First of all, because you only hear the overture at the beginning of the game and then at the end, at the very end. And I don't know, I think it would be like too hard to... Like, if you really, really pay attention, you'd, you'd be like, okay, this is what's really happening, but you need to play the whole game in order to know what the themes represent in the first place. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, but then, like, if you listen to it again, then you're like, oh, okay, yeah, this makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know you, you use the soundtrack as a showcase for traditional Peruvian instruments, and so what were some of the instruments that you knew you had to include to really, you know, create that sound. The one instrument that I had to include was the pan flute because that's probably the first thing that comes to mind of everyone when they hear Peru. It's like, you know, pan flutes, Machu Picchu, and a llama. And <laughs> so we did include the three of the three of them. <laughs> like the whole mountain boss is, is like a Machu Picchu mountain. And uh, then we used the, the pan flutes that we had to include. And, and there's a llama, the last llama in the world. I did want it to, to include that instrument, but we conceptualize every area so that it's, it has a, a unique set of instruments. So for instance, um, the pan flute, you'll only hear it on the mountains. Not, uh, you won't hear that on the desert or the jungle or the underworld. And then we use um, the, the tijeras, which are like uh, scissors, like, Literally like scissors and and sound kind of like a triangle, and those also are are um, native instruments from the um, the mountains, and and again we only use those in the mountains.
that's really cool. I mean, when you think of Peruvian music, yeah, those are, you know, kind of the, the hits. And, and yet there must be a lot of different regions where the instruments are different too. Yeah, exactly. So, um, for instance, on the coast, like when, when on Peruvian music, there, there's this style called festejo, and they use the, the cajones, which are Peruvian cajones, and they don't have a snare. So they, they have a, a particular sound. And we, we recorded an ensemble of cajones to make it like epic, but Peruvian. And it was really funny because like, it's, um, it, it is that, it's epic Peruvian music. And, um, and a friend of mine told me like, I don't know if, if I want to fight or dance. <laughs> <laughs> Growing up in Peru, were these instruments just sort of background noise for you, or did you realize at the time that they were really unique and special? Um, well, there are there are some of them which are used like you can hear them all the time in, in in contemporary Peruvian music, and those yes, like you you just hear them like the pan flute, the cajones, you always hear those. But there were other instruments which were the ones we recorded at the museum, and those ones had never been heard before like like anywhere <laughs> we literally went to a museum and recorded these like six thousand year old instruments and i mean they're not written records so we just had to to play them however we, we felt and uh, and those were very unique sounds yeah i'll bet i mean how in the world did you get permission to take them out of the cases and and play them it, it took a bit, but there was a, like a single most powerful argument, which was like, you have 6,000 year old instruments. We need to know how they sound. <laughs> I, that, that was it. And that was the same argument over again during four months until, until the CEO was like, okay, fine. <laughs> we record them once and then we... Uh, you know, we bring it back to the museum. <laughs> well, you know, instruments in a museum is such a, a weird concept because they were meant to be heard and to just have them in a, in a display case is, you know, they're, they're not living their full lives, I guess. Exactly. And that, that was killing me. <laughs> <laughs> I need to know how they sound at least once. Yeah. Well, who did you get to play them? I mean, I imagine that was a pretty intimidating thing to do, playing these ancient instruments. Um, I got a couple of... Um, of, of woodwind players, which, which I knew and were really good. And I thought, hey, are you interested in knowing how this sound? And they were like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so they just like went over to the museum and we recorded everything there. Thank you. 
I have a friend who got a, a Greek lyre from one of the last traditional makers in Greece. And Greek wow. music is kind of like Incan music. Nobody really knows how it sounded. And so he had to kind of just mess around with it, too, and kind of make his best guess for, for what it was supposed to, how it was supposed to be played. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's, that's part of the fun, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Well, and no one's going to know if it's right or not, so you might as well just <laughs> just get it That's out there. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you also used an Aztec death whistle, and those are just so amazing. Um, I've got a composer friend who got one online, which is pretty amazing, but then he had to figure out how to play that, too. And so how did you acquire your death whistle? And then, like, how did you figure out how to play it? Well, that one is a uh, is one that's that's the only instrument that's out of context <laughs> because it was mostly based on on Peru, the Peruvian region, and the Incan tradition. And this one is taken from the Aztec. But it was that we saw we had to use it for the for the underworld. And I got mine uh, because a friend of mine traveled to, to Mexico, and I told him, "Hey, can you get me a that whistle?" And he was, "All right, I'll try." <laughs> and he got me one. Wow, that's I'm sort of visualizing this, I don't know, a folklore market kind of thing in Mexico City and they just have a table full of death whistles, but <laughs> I think it was kind of like that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I think it was kind of like that. It was like, yeah, some traditional market. And I mean to play it is like really straightforward. Just have to it's just like one hole and that's it. Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you don't you don't need much expertise to play that one. How many of the instruments did you play? Not many. <laughs> I one um one show. I played that one and but then everything else was played by, by actual professionals <laughs> <laughs> and and good woodwind players. I actually got um one guy who used to work at the museum. He did some replicas 
and we sent those to my woodwind player, who's a, a Sandro Pritik, and he's amazing. He's uh, he's performed on the Symphony of the Lord of the Rings. He lives in, in Switzerland. So uh, we send them the Kenas um, Chincha, uh, which are like the they're like canas but made of clay, and they sound beautiful. And so yeah, we we sent him those over, and then he recorded. Wow. That 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 well that must have been a real process too to kind of pull everything together with everybody spread out so far apart. I mean, it sounds like some of the musicians were in Peru, and then did you use other musicians who were based in LA? Yeah, actually, most of the musicians were based in LA. Um, yeah, most of them. The, we recorded a string sec, a string section in, on East West Studio One, and. Then a friend of mine, uh, Uyanga Bolt, she recorded um, the voices also in LA, um, the guitars and, and Ron Rocco and Charango also were recorded in LA. And only the choirs were recorded on, in Peru. Hmm. Well, I wanted to ask you about the choirs because they sing in three different languages depending on where that choral um, performances used in the game. And so how did you decide which language they were going to be singing in, depending on where in the game that was going to be used? So that was part of the of the making each region unique. And we we took the language from the region. So for the jungle, we took like a native um, language from from the from the actual language jungle from Peru. And which is a Shaninka. Then for for the mountains, we used um, um, Aymara, which is sim is similar to Quechua, but not exactly. And then for the coast and the desert, we use Quechua. And for the underworld, was a mix of Quechua and Aymara. It's fascinating. And how did you line up? Did you get a translator for the text that you wanted them to sing? Many translators, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there, there was a lot of back and forth there. And actually, uh, my girlfriend wrote the lyrics. Uh, she's a composer as well. And she wrote the lyrics. Then we had a translator. Then they would go back to her. She would need to readjust a few things back to the translator to make sure it works and and then yeah back and forth until we got it to fit <laughs> yeah well it, it's an amazing fit and you've used the chorus in such you know tr strategic places in each one of the cues and and in the tracks and the soundtrack and so i'm curious about how you had to balance you know letting these instruments and letting the chorus 
kind of sound like themselves and yet fit them into a kind of a Western smaller orchestra, traditional orchestra? It wasn't that much of a challenge because they blended really good. So it was more um, how to use them depending on what's, on what's going on. And, and for that, we had like, depending on how intense the battle was, we'd have like more layers of, of instruments coming in. So for instance, if you get like, if you're just like fighting mobs, uh, you just get like the, like a loop of, of percussions and, and a few other things. But the choirs will only come in in the, like in the big epic part of it. Yeah, well, yeah, because you, you've got to have somewhere to go as the battles escalate. Exactly, and and that whole buildup is like, this happens, this is the same concept on each area, which is a buildup towards the boss fight. It's, and, and that's what we did. We have like the same motif. Uh, so each, each area is the story of, of each one of the bosses. And we have like one motif on the three sub areas that develops little by little until like the, like the finale, which is the boss fight. Well, I, I love how spare the instrumentation is in the desert because it really kind of illustrates the emptiness that's there. And so that must have been a fun area to work on for, for the music. Yeah, the desert was, was super fun. Like um, we like and, and that emptiness is exactly what what we, we wanted to represent because the desert one was the first area we worked on. And also um, represented the state of the world, which was, you know, it's like kind of like almost apocalyptic and similar to Shell of the Colossus. So we wanted that that space that there's really nothing here, and but still you can hear the motif of of the, of Dewey of the boss coming in and out on on a cello.
it works really, really well. And then when you do finally get to Chewy, it's like, whoa, <laughs> it just pull out all the stops. <laughs> yes, it's, it's a whole, uh, it's a whole buildup. Well, who were some of the, the bosses that you really enjoyed, you know, writing the, the battle music for? Chewy, for sure. That, that was my favorite. Um, it was my favorite because the concept that we that we talked with the with the game designer was we need something kind of like a duel of fates of Peruvian. And I was like, okay, that's really, really cool. <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> and so so yeah, that's that's really what we did. And and also it goes with the character because it's like an honorable fight and 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 this character to me is all about honor. So that was really, really fun to write. was really impressed about with the different bosses is how once the battle is over once nin has has vanquished them they actually respect him and they you know they kind of give up themselves and then they give him hints on what he should be doing next and i can't think of another game where the bosses you know they kind of give you hints and tips and send you on your way <laughs> usually you have to kill them and that's the end of it so that's a really interesting idea about the bosses yeah and it's all it's all part of like the the lore behind it because we we didn't want the lore to the story to be up front so it's more for the for the player who actually read like all the collectibles and and everything and so yes every time you 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 beat a boss they'll tell you a little bit about the lore and you know give you hints of like things are not so black and white as you think you know they're like uh like the story then you realize it's told from the sun's point of view it's you know it's like the moon is not bad the sun is not good they just are and and so and then you you realize at the end of it that it's everything's been told from the sun's point of view yeah, it's a really, really interesting twist. And I'm, I'm wondering if there were any composers that you kind of looked to for inspiration for this soundtrack? Not in particular for this soundtrack, but for everything I do, my inspiration is always like, there are always John Williams, James Horner, and Joey Saishi. Like, those three are like my favorite composers ever. 
the trifecta. I mean, just <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, Harry composer ever. And well, and I also really love the like Nobu and Matsu and everything he's done with Final Fantasy. Well, it's so interesting because, uh, and on the surface, they're they're different. They have a lot of different styles. I mean, everybody knows what John Williams sounds like. And if you're not familiar with Joe Saishi, he's written music for the Studio Ghibli films, and it's a much kind of sunnier, sunnier sound. So it's interesting that you've kind of synthesized the three of them. That's really cool. Yeah, it, it, it's just, yeah, I absolutely love uh, Joe Saishi. And also the uh, the concept of Impofiston was a little bit like Ghiblish in that sense. Exactly on the sense that that things are not uh, black or white, right? That they're like many shades of gray, and so yeah, that's that's this that's direct inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm curious about you know what made this a, a a fun artistically fun project for you to work on. Well, being the first project from Sunwall, like the whole process was was super super fun interesting we learned a lot and and besides that it was the the first time that i was working on a peruvian inspired project um with you know with like about 50 minutes of music and because i've worked on our peruvian inspired projects but they were like shorter or just like a few cues not really a video game so that was very interesting and and also the angle which is it's a yeah, it's, it's quite a, a unique angle um, on the epicness that it had. So making Peruvian epic music was so much fun. <laughs> <I'll bet. laughs> I, I, I love combining, um, it, it's not just Peruvian. I love combining the uh, instruments of the world. So for instance, uh, I wrote a whole album called Silk Punk, which is, um, which is a mix of, um, again, like <laughs> John Williams, Joey Saishi, and Chinese music, <laughs> Chinese music, and because I wanted to explore the 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 sounds from China, and then I'm like I'm working on another project which is uh, has Scandinavian instruments. Then I worked on a dwarf project uh, a few years ago called Arafin. Uh, again, dwarf instruments, so like all Scandinavian instruments, and I I love to combine those. Like if you look around my studio, I have like uh, everything is like from different parts of the world, like Africa, India. Uh, Japan, Peru, China, stuff from all over. That's so cool. I think what's so interesting about music from other cultures is a lot of them have the same kinds of instruments. They they have instruments that are sort of like cellos or instruments that are like guitars, but not quite. But then the, the tuning system is different so that it's really localized. And it must be fun to just be able to play around with all of them. Yeah, it's super fun. It's super fun. I always... Um, I mean, because of the style of music that I write, I usually bring those instruments to a more, uh, I mean, I use a, a Western tuning, um, of like um, modern tuning and with all the instruments. And I do do some research on, on traditional melodies, how they sound, but it's always a mix. It's always like mixing traditional orchestra with this different instrument. Yeah, and that raises its own set of challenges because then you've got to have everybody kind of play together nicely, and and let the uh, the instruments from other cultures just also sort of be themselves. And so, exactly, exactly. Well, what are you especially proud of about your your work with this project? Well, I really love like the the concept of I'm, I'm super proud of, of oh, I'm super proud of, of the whole team as CEO, and. And especially like on on the part of the music, I really, I really love the concept of it, and and how everything makes sense. So nothing really, nothing was an accident, in in it, all the music that's in Britain. So I really really like that because some sometimes there's like filler music here and there, and here every single note was on purpose and for a reason. Wow. That it's and the result is just amazing. I mean, it's a wonderful blend of Peruvian music with, you know, a traditional orchestra. And I mean, yeah, you should be really proud of it. It's it's really cool. It's just it's a fun game. It's gotten some great reviews and a lot of love. And so it, it's been really fun to talk with you about it. So thank you so much, Jose. Well, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> <laughs> 